0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Cozying Up with a Clear Cut, where we get up close and personal with women that inspire us. Today we have the wonderful Polly Rodriguez, co-founder and CEO of Unbound, a sexual wellness company. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us today. Sure, I'm happy to be here. Of course, we want... um, to know about, you know, how did you get started in like the sex toy, sex wellness industry? Mm-hmm. I love like your whole vibe and website. I feel like it's so accessible for women. It doesn't make, you know, sex toys seem something that they should be like ashamed about or like yeah. awkward. And I just wanna, how did you get to that point?
1: Yeah, <laughs> my mom always loves having to talk to our family about this. Oh God,
0: um, I'm sure. No, I, yeah, like <laughs> family conversation. The first,
1: it's like, or the first Thanksgiving I went home. I remember being like, "How am I gonna explain <laughs> to my family what I do?" Um, so <laughs> yeah, I I worked actually for a senator briefly on Capitol Hill, and then in management consulting, and then at a dating startup. And noticed kind of at the time Glossier, Warby Parker, Casper Wall first starting and, you know, really embracing the direct-to-consumer model of mm-hmm. cutting out distributors and middlemen and with millennials in particular shopping predominantly online made a lot of sense. Um, and for me, there was always this question as to like, you know, vibrators, lubricants, and accessories are this massive industry and category, but there's no dominant brand name, really, and there certainly weren't any direct-to-consumer brands tackling the space. Um, I, myself, along with pretty much everybody that works at our company has a personal story as to why Mm -hmm. they're kind of passionate about solving this problem. None of us come from the adult industry historically, um, but all of us, um, just by coincidence, are women, and I think all had a pretty terrible shopping experience when we went to go buy these products for the first time. Um, When
0: was the first time you went shopping for one of these products?
1: Yeah. So for me personally, when I was 21 years old, I went through a colorectal cancer diagnosis and went through menopause as a result of radiation treatment. And I had a good friend who was a nurse practitioner who sat me down and said, you know, you're probably gonna wanna buy some lubricant and a vibrator and I grew up in the Midwest where the only place that sells these products. Um at the time was a hustler I might still be this way, but in <laughs> St. Louis it was just a hustler of Hollywood. So I ended up in like a strip mall.
0: Oh my God, and that's so awkward for like a young woman to mm-hmm. walk into one of those stores and like ask for lubricant and a vibrator, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean
1: <laughs> and just like, you know, it's an intimidat I think going so intimidating in- store is intimidating in general and like I, yeah. So to me, it was kind of like, I felt a lot of like shame and embarrassment about the fact that I was like going through menopause at such a young age and then compounded on top of that was kind of this in-store shopping experience that just felt really embarrassing. Um, so I think that also has a lot to do with kind of like where I was at as a person, but fast forward like 10 years later and we created Unbound because we wanted to make the shopping experience a lot better.
0: Totally. And actually I feel like Shopping for diamonds can be a little bit similar, too. Yeah. It's really intimidating, like, walking into a jewelry store and feeling like, I don't know anything. Like, do I do I sound dumb, like, asking questions? I mean, obviously, um, for a young woman, asking for a vibrator from maybe, like, a man working at a hustler is, like, mm-hmm. not the best experience, and probably... You know, a lot of women just won't even shop for those type of products because they're scared.
1: Yeah, and I feel like with diamonds, it's funny because I'm about to turn thirty three, (laughs) and all my like I would say the majority of my friends are married now, or like getting married, or whatever. And it's so interesting because I know so little about it, and I would like. You know, it's so funny because I shared with my best friend who just got engaged that I was coming on this podcast and I was like, look at these rings, (laughs) but I was like, I have no idea. Like there's so many elements to it.
0: Yeah. Like clarity
1: and cut and all this stuff.
0: And it can get like so, so niche and that's why like, and there's so much, like it's so opaque. So our goal is always to like make everything transparent and Mm -hmm. educational and accessible. And I think that's what you're doing too for sexual wellness.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the millennial consumer in general cares so much more about like the quality of the products themselves. Like for us, the FDA doesn't regulate the products. And so there are a lot and of...
0: Oh, your pudding is not in right, your body. <laughs> right.
1: And I know with diamonds, there's so much conversation around like, uh, like ethics and mm-hmm. the ethics around sourcing and all that. And so I think it's really interesting to see this new generation of startups that are being created with a focus on transparency and education. Yeah, totally. Um, Because millennial consumers, I think, just want to be more informed in general.
0: So a lot of people have ideas and see white spaces in the industry, right? So you as a young woman looking and seeing like, wow, this is a space that is ripe for disruption. How do you take like the first steps? Like what were your first um, steps into creating your own business in this space that you weren't really familiar with?
1: yeah i mean i met my co-founder sarah jane through like a women in tech group in new york and i was still working at a dating startup and i was just kind of miserable there um and this was at the heyday of birchbox so there's a subscription box for everything Mm -hmm. and i you know we didn't have any money and so we started off by saying well we'll do a subscription box Mm -hmm. that's curated and thematic and you know i took out a bunch of credit cards and bought inventory and would sell it out. But I, I mean, I also worked like two part time jobs on the side for the first two, two and a half years. And you were doing this
0: full time?
1: N- well, I did it at first full time. I like, had saved up $5,000 and I was like, this will be enough. I'll get the business off the ground by the time I run out of money. <laughs> and that was just a really naive notion. So, I, of course, I ran out of money and was like, okay, I need to get not just one part time job, but two part time jobs. So I did that for like two, two and a half years before. We finally got to a scale with traction where I could get meetings with investors because they want to see really impressive numbers before they talk to you, Mm -hmm. Um, especially for consumer businesses. Like if you have a product, they really like. Sometimes I feel like it's easier if you're a software startup because you can raise money without even having a product or anything. But if you're a direct-to-consumer company or a consumer-focused company, they really want to see traction before they meet with you.
0: I feel like that's true for some instances, but there are a ton of instances for D2C companies that I see. They're like, oh, I just have this idea and I raised like $6 million and now I'm like the hottest new thing. And so I think there's like this notion amongst people that want to start a consumer-focused direct-to-consumer business where they see all those um, types of instances and they don't realize like there are a ton of businesses that have to like grind for years in order Mm -hmm. to get traction or to even get a serious meeting with someone what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah I mean I think you know only 10 percent of startups like in general raise any type of funding Mm -hmm. and you know especially as female founders in the world within venture funding only two percent goes to women so it's such a small sliver of female founders that are even getting getting into those meetings to have them at all I think that we hear these narratives of like the Warby Parkers and the Caspers of the world and I think there are there's such a small percentage of like the businesses that are out there and and they those stories get amplified but Ultimately, the people that are able to raise funding without like an idea or proof of concept or anything are people that either have a really strong network. Yes. um, You're part of the
0: club. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think as somebody, certainly I did not have any of those connections. And so it's hard because I think if if you're one of those people that can just raise millions on an idea, it's probably either because you come from that world Mm -hmm. um, or you know someone who does.
0: And I feel like people that have ideas that want to start businesses, especially women, shouldn't feel, like, discouraged if they're not part of that crew. Um, It does take hustle, though. Like, you will probably have to take out some debt, like, spend a couple years proving it out before, you know, banging down those doors and getting those meetings. And that's kind of just, like how it is it doesn't happen overnight for everybody
1: no and Mm -hmm. you have to and sometimes i also sometimes get frustrated because i'll have a lot of um people reach out and be like can i have introductions to your investors and they like don't have a website don't and i'm like i can't I, i was like and i sound like the gatekeeper but i'm like I don't want to ruin your shot mm-hmm. at getting this funding, but I'm telling you right now, they're just not going to cut you a check if there's nothing built. And I think it's hard and it's frustrating because if you're the founder and you're the entrepreneur, you're like, okay, so I have to like pay my rent, pay my bills, um, grow this company, mm-hmm. try to figure out how to get a warm intro into it. It's like it is doing the impossible, and it feels that way. Um, so... If anybody's out there and you feel that way, you're
0: not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> so how long did it take you um, and who like who were your first investors? It took me
1: two and a half years and over 300 no's um, <laughs> before I finally closed a check. And um, it's probably,
0: I mean, in your space, it's a bit controversial. Yeah. And also, a lot of these investors are men. Could they even relate to your product?
1: Yeah, what was interesting was um, I actually found female investors to be more difficult. Me too. Than, yeah.
0: Oh my God. They're the, the
1: I, mean, I mean, it's not, it's not, I have some female founders on my cap table that are like my biggest champions. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, work so hard, but I think when you're a consumer focused product that's catering to women, only 9% of venture partners are women as well. And so, I think they're they're like overly judicious about like not wanting to play into a stereotype of like I only invest in like female consumer companies. And so if you're a female founder, you're like, but you're the one that's supposed to be like championing this because you understand mm-hmm. the pain point
0: exactly more than
1: anybody else. But I actually found that the male investors were easier to get buy-in from.
0: And I think it goes back to like if you're not part of the club, then it's way harder. And I don't know why it's like that in tech, in jewelry, in fashion. It's like the women are kind of the most critical and harsh on other women yeah it's a
1: it's a it's a weird mental complex I think but I also think the thing I learned is like you just have to prove them wrong by doing
0: it exactly it's just they'll come around but it's a harder sell Mm -hmm. um and I just feel like that's kind of like how women are brought up because it is competitive there's only so many slots like even in venture or tech um now it's changing which is you know kind of our goal for even like sitting down and like Mm -hmm. talking about these things to make it a little bit more comfortable to say like hey you're a woman I'm supporting you like we should like celebrate each other and both be successful yeah
1: yeah agreed um is
0: that
1: the radiator
0: yeah it is (laughs) um so you so you're so it took two and a half years to get your first investment and Mm -hmm. then how did you grow the business from the subscription box to like what it is now
1: yeah, that I mean, that was why we wanted to raise the venture funding. I think we sold other people's products for the first three years, and in doing that, got a very deep understanding of where there were gaps in the market and the products that other people were making. Because it's an incredibly fragmented industry, mm-hmm. where the top four players make up less than ten percent of the total market. Um, pro- like prices are artificially inflated because they're selling through distributors or mm-hmm. taking a forty percent margin, and so we were, you know, selling other people's vibrators and products and customers would write in and say, you know, I paid 160 bucks for this vibrator and it broke after like a month. Um, and then like we would reach out to the brands that we were buying from and they're like, well, we don't really have a warranty process. Like it's, you know, final sale. And it was just, it was such a bad experience that we realized there was a huge opportunity for us to make our own products, which is why we went out to raise the venture funding. But even that was difficult because VCs would look at us and be like, okay, but your business model is X and now you're telling me you want to do Y. What Mm -hmm. makes you think you can do Y? You've never done it. And it's like, well, I've never done it because it costs like at least a million (laughs) dollars to do a run of production to get the products. So um, we really had to figure out a way to prove to them that we could manufacture. Mm -hmm. And so I took out like, you know, a bunch of credit cards and we started to make actually dual purpose jewelry. We noticed that like after Fifty Shades of Grey, there was this huge interest in BDSM products. And they are really clunky and ugly, and like the packaging was like so hypersexualized. And so we thought, what if we made like an elegant line of dual-purpose jewelry that, like, yes, you can wear as handcuffs, but mostly they look at like just like bangle bracelets.
0: Oh my god, love that! So jewelry and sex toys yeah. merge. Yeah. Um, so, what are your best-selling jewelry? wellness products
1: I mean this one I'm wearing my like all-time favorite which is definitely our best-selling which is a um, and
0: that just looks like a cool it looks like, like ring just
1: like a yeah like yeah. a block like a chunk of uh like a gold bar or whatever yeah this is one of the first ones we ever made um and we took this to TechCrunch Disrupt and got second place for it but wow. it's a haptic vibrator ring that you wear um that took us two years to develop to where we could get like the um, circuit boards and all the electronics small enough mm-hmm. with a quality motor to where it could be a wearable. Um, and what's really cool about it is when you move your hand, the vibration intensity will increase or decrease because it has an accelerometer in it, which is the exact same thing that when you flip your iPhone and the orientation changes, it's mm-hmm. the exact same technology that's in the ring. So when you like move your hand in a certain way, the vibration intensity increases versus decreases, which is cool.
0: So you can wear this like out, but mm-hmm. then... The vibrations for, like, later (laughs) in private, right? (laughs) Yeah, or, like,
1: sometimes I'll just be, like, really stressed at the office, and I'll, like, just, you know, like, try to get a... Like, like my neck will be sore, and I'll just use it for that. But, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things we saw was that in sex more broadly, 40% of women report having chronic difficulty reaching orgasm Mm -hmm. during penetrative sex, compared with less than 5% of men. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to create products that could transition more seamlessly um into uh, either partnered sex or masturbation or any of those things. So the whole goal was to like elevate the design with the hope of making incorporating these products less intimidating.
0: Make it less intimidating, mm-hmm. cool. So um <laughs> but how did you see people wanting to like wear their products like out on display? Like
1: yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> when we went to TechCrunch, all the guys were like, "Oh, it's so gross. It's like a vibrator ring and I'm like you literally touch your penis every time you go to the bathroom so like you wash this in the same way I hope you wash your hands um after you go to the bathroom and it's just funny the stigma around I think sexuality for women and how it makes people really uncomfortable but women like loved it like I we pitched in TechCrunch and we came in second place and I was like heartbroken because obviously I wanted to win but as I was leaving I could not get even out of the room because all these women just kept coming up to me and being like, that's fucking awesome. Like, what you're doing is amazing. And Mm -hmm. I think in the entrepreneurial journey, we have so much self-doubt about, like, is this stupid? Like, are people going to hate it? Does this matter? And a lot
0: of people will tell you that it is stupid. So Mm -hmm. you have to, like, believe that they're wrong.
1: Right. And ultimately, the only person you should be listening to is your customer. Mm -hmm. And you can't build a startup in the early days that is for everybody. It has to be for a very specific group of smaller community and people because you have to get them to really love what you're doing and then they're going to share that with their friends, if you try to create, like, a one-size-fits-all model out of the gate, you're just going to get a bunch of people who kind of like it, but aren't really enthusiastic about it.
0: Yeah, and you need, like, those hardcore people in the beginning, and I'm sure it, like, is a conversation starter. It is, and, (laughs) you know,
1: because we're on the topic of jewelry, one of the things that inspired it was the history behind the cocktail ring, Mm -hmm. which was a ring that was created to foster conversation Mm -hmm. and to Mm -hmm. be a conversation piece, and I think, For us, there's also a lot of symbolic power in you can wear this as a ring and it's up to the wearer to disclose, to like, you know. Whoever
0: asks about it. Right. Like, oh, I love your ring. You can say thank you or it's actually a vibrator. Right,
1: which I think to us also plays into like the more like political conversation Mm -hmm. right now about like what is consent and like how do we engage. I think like after the Me Too movement, there was such a kind of like we all pulled back Because we were like, oh, like these conversations are not appropriate, which is a like necessary, like 100% agree with that collective response. But I think now it's this moment of like, okay, well, now what? Like, how do we engage in healthy, consent-driven conversations? And so, I think for me, at least, the ring symbolizes an opportunity to try to navigate those conversations um, in a way that is thoughtful, because it's never going to be black and white. You know, Mm -hmm. like there were all these startups that came out that were like an app for consent where it was like during sex you like roll over and like sign your name
0: on the oh app to like
1: but like that's that's so not how consent works no, right that's like, not how could, it
0: happens like when you're out and like and also like you can change your mind yeah. after
1: signing this weird exactly. contract like
0: consent, things can change yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: so like I just think it's interesting to see how we kind of struggle to navigate situations that aren't so binary and black mm-hmm. and white um, so yeah but I want to talk more about your company okay? and diamonds and stuff.
0: (laughs) Okay. So we can go from spark to sparkle. So my last question is Mm -hmm. what is your spark? Like what is the thing that ignites your passion, your desire to like keep moving forward, no matter how difficult um, things are for you?
1: Honestly, it's two things. One is definitely the other women in my life. I think like I was really lucky that I had two grandmothers who started their own businesses um, my mom's worked my whole life uh, my sister is fucking brilliant and changing the world and <laughs> and I think that learning that at a young age now like the women femme and non-binary founders that are in this space we're so supportive of each other and I look at a lot of other verticals like the scooter wars you know the Uber versus Lyft the Twitter versus mm-hmm. Facebook versus Snapchat and like It's always going to be competitive and innate to capitalism is competition. But I think one thing that that, that is really nice about the space I'm in, which is like femtech more broadly, Mm -hmm. is how supportive the founders are of one another. And we really champion each other because ultimately I think we acknowledge that like we're not fighting against each other so much. You're creating
0: something together. And we're fighting against the patriarchy. Yeah. (laughs) We're fighting against
1: the fact that like – you know, there's so few female founders and so few female founded businesses that end up raising venture funding and becoming multi-multi, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of revenue type businesses. So yeah, I think that was a very long-winded answer to, I think the thing that gives me spark is like the women um, that I work with and the women in my life for sure.
0: And I just think it's so cool, like how you're taking this thing that's taboo that most people feel like, um, Kind of self-conscious about discussing and bringing like a new narrative and like empowering people to like, you know, embrace it and feel like comfortable with it. Yeah. Thanks. That's Um, nice. So I wanted to give you um, a spark ring. What? Yeah. No way. So this is yeah. Oh my god. So this is our new ring, um, and it's called our spark ring, and it's supposed to represent like whatever ignites your spark whenever you're feeling down or like people are saying no, just to look down and like feel. This is yourself. amazing. This isn't like a pinky ring size, but if you want a different size, no. um, we'll send oh you a God. This a is new the one. nicest. <laughs> are you for real right now? Oh, my God. It's, oh,
1: this is so cute. I have like little, my fingers are like fat and swollen right now.
0: but So like, we so can send you one the right size. No.
1: Oh, my God. This is beautiful. <laughs> what a great you. idea. Yeah. So
0: Thank it's just you. a reminder that, you know, you have women there that are supporting of you and you're doing all the right things. Oh, my God. You guys are killing me. <laughs> But I also want to show you this. And I know that you um, said that you liked antique jewelry. I love antique jewelry. So this is actually um, the diamond that we showed in the last episode because you both liked antique diamonds. And I was like, well, this is an eight-carat antique cushion cut. <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> And I just, like, you can't, you can't really compete with it. So I thought, oh, it's just This fun. is, like
1: in Titanic when it's like the heart of the ocean in (laughs) a wedding I like oh my okay wait will you teach me I I will you teach me about this
0: so this is um an antique cushion so basically there was an old mine cut, which is the ancestor of today's modern day cushion, which has like chunkier facets. It's like kind of cool and charming. They have like small tables, high crown angles. And this is kind of like. I have of, no like, idea what any of that means. It
1: means like the top of it is smaller, small, and then yeah, the angles. Yeah,
0: it's, so it's like a kind of like chunky little got diamond. Got it, got it, got it. And it's like evolved into today's modern day cushion. This is something in between. So you can see like the facets are a lot bigger, big flashes of light. There's still like a little culet, which is like an extra facet at the point. Um, so, but you still get like the kind of modern silhouette of like that square pillow oh my look. Gosh. But I think there's really charming.
1: This is insane. It's a
0: pretty rare cut.
1: <laughs> it's beautiful, and it is funny because like, whenever I talk to people and they're like, "What's the about how it like sparkles and catches the light," I'm always like, "Okay." And then you see something like this, and you're, you're like, like eh. "You're like, there's so many <laughs> colors in it." It's I know. Cra- it is. Cra- it's because it sounds pretentious when people say it, mm-hmm. but like. I think it's also if you like I come from such a working class family like my mom her wedding ring is like they're like just a bunch of like crappy sapphires and like (laughs) you know like you see something like this and you're just like oh my it's so beautiful
0: but what's also great about jewelry is that you don't need to have like an eight carat diamond for it to mean something and have some special like, emotional connection and we always ask people to bring a special piece. I did I Yay! brought my special piece okay hold this because if,
1: if I actually <laughs> walk out with that you guys are gonna tackle me to the ground and be like get back here um okay. oh a pin Yeah, so it's a pin, which, like, I still haven't really figured out how to wear it, to be honest. Like, sometimes I'll put it on a scarf Mm -hmm. um, or on, like, the outside of my coat. But, okay, so my great Aunt Eunice was a really good cards player. What kind of
0: cards did she play? She played bridge. Okay.
1: And she won this in a bridge game against a man named uh, Henry or Harry Thaw, who's really famous because he murdered... Um, this famous architect called his last name was Sanford mm-hmm. and there there's this really famous murder I want to say in like the oh god I don't remember sometime in the last, like I want to say like 1890s but I really don't know um or maybe it was in nineteen twenty. So
0: did she know she was playing cards with a murderer? Did he become a murderer he after? He became a murderer after okay. So
1: she was playing cards against him. He went on to mur- He, like, fell in love with this woman named Evelyn Nesbitt in New York City. Mm-hmm. And it was this famous murder where it was in, like, Madison Square Park in this, like, tower where he, like, he mur- murdered Stanford White, I think was his name. And he was a famous architect who did, like... Uh, pins, the original like Penn Station, and how do the he post kill him? with a gun? Like oh, shot, wow. shot and killed him and went to jail. But my aunt Eunice won this pin that has all these sapphires mm-hmm. in it. And Sapphire the
0: car- cabochons are so pretty. Oh my gosh, how do you even know that? Wait, what are they? <laughs> so see um how they're kind of rounded. Mm-hmm. They're not faceted like. The diamond we just looked at, and that's called a cabochon cut, oh. so, and they're bezel set, and they're super cool because they're kind of like all different hues of blue.
1: Yeah, so she won this in a card game, and my grandmother, Claire Jane, gave it to me because she was like, you know, Aunt Eunice was this fierce spirit. Yeah, that's who, a pretty like, badass right? story. <laughs> so she's like, I want you to have it, but I've never like really known what it was. She's like, I think they're sapphires, but...
0: Yeah, they look um, like sapphires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I,
1: just, I love how they're all a little different,
0: mm-hmm. too. Yeah, so... so cool and now there's like this whole trend in like ombre colored stones and this oh, was like really? way ahead of the trend oh yeah, yeah.
1: this is from like i want to say the late 1800s and you can like just see how it's like hold, held together like with i don't know it's just crazy but yeah this is my favorite i think piece of jewelry that i own i love that for sure so.
0: um and all different pieces of jewelry can become like heirlooms and you can pass them down which is like awesome. yeah very I, cool i want to see how your ring vibrates oh so. this thing yeah
1: okay <laughs> like how does it work Okay, so it's on right now. I wonder if I can, like, oh, kind of hear it. That's the lowest setting. So if you put it...
0: Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. And then oh, wow. this is the fourth setting.
1: So if you hold it completely flat, hang on. And,
0: so are there, like, buttons? Yeah, so the button's on the bottom. Uh,
1: Three, four, okay.
0: And this is 18K gold plated, right? Yeah,
1: I wear this all the time, so it's a little faded, but so if you hold it flat like that, and okay. then as you move it, the vibration oh,
0: speed that's will so increase. cool. Oh, my God, that's, like
1: powerful yeah so it took forever oh my god this thing took like years it was so frustrating
0: and is that like your best-selling piece like what are your best sellers our best
1: seller is bender which is a vibrator that is internal and external stimulation this is definitely this is 128 so it's by far the most expensive mm-hmm. thing on our website um, and bender's only like uh 69 mm-hmm. uh-huh. um, so <laughs> that one does pretty well um i'm curious though with you like
0: mm-hmm.
1: what is the most common question people ask when they're like in the process of looking for I'm assuming the majority of what you're focused on is helping people find a a wedding ring yeah engagement yeah so
0: that's still like the bread and butter of our business is making like the custom diamond engagement rings um but we do have like our fine jewelry line now too but I would say it's changed and shifted a lot even in the past two years where like two years ago a lot of um well, people in heterosexual relationships, the guy would come in, like, kind of clueless and be mm-hmm. like, okay, like, what do I do? Where do I start? And that's kind of how I started my blog, um, kind of helping these guys navigate the do's and don'ts. But now, I would say, like, 90% of our customers are either shopping together as a couple or if the guy, if they want to have some sort of, you know, surprise, he has a laundry list of what it needs to be with, like, screenshots and everything, like, there's no, like, fucking up.
1: That's amazing. Um,
0: so we've seen um women like take control over this um engagement proposal whole situation and there's like um I guess like gone are the days of like having to be like a complete surprise and it's like oh I'll like take whatever I'll get because it's a really expensive purchase yeah, and you it's have something... to wear it for the rest of your life you have to wear it every day for the rest of your life hopefully and like a lot of women are even like chipping in for their own rings now. oh hell yeah yeah
1: I feel like I don't know I'm like such a I, I, I would feel weird if somebody bought my ring for me, unless I was, like, buying one of equal worth for mm-hmm. them. I don't know. But I just, yeah, I, I also, like, don't well, usually let people pay this, for This I mandates. think this is,
0: like, kind of, like, the first generation where, like, women are probably making the same, if not more, than their male partners. Mm-hmm. And um they have a lot – they're just as informed and kind of, like – or. Honestly, more informed on what they want, so Mm -hmm. um, I think there's less of a taboo around it, and like you can still have like a very romantic like proposal, but just know what the ring's gonna look like.
1: Yeah. What's (laughs) the number one mistake you see people make when buying an engagement ring?
0: Um, there are a few. I think one is to not like set a budget because it is a slippery slope and you can always, you know, spend five, ten thousand dollars more and get something slightly nicer. So I think like sticking to that is Wait, really... can I
1: ask what like the number one thing is where it's like the upsell where they end up spending ten K more than they intended? Is it size? Is it clarity?
0: Is it So it's all like a balance. Um I would say probably size, um, is like the number one driver and then some people like really want to spend extra on color too, mm. um, but yeah, definitely um, size is. And it's really funny because it's always the same thing. Where if I'm like talking to the guy, they're like, "Oh no, 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 we can go way smaller in size, but quality is like more important." And the girl's like, "No, let's max for size, still keep the quality like decent." So it's always a conversation, That's and, like a so battle. Interesting. Why mm-hmm. do you think?
1: Why do you think you see that that pattern?
0: Um, I think because the guy's not wearing it. So <laughs> he's like, I want to make like a sound investment, you know, like uh, analyze like all of the details. And it's like, okay, like we can go one carrot, but I want it to be like a DVVS one, which is like really high quality. I have no idea what that means. When a girl's like, I'd rather spend the same exact money but get two carrots and I'm fine going to like an I or J, SI1, SI2, as long as it doesn't look crappy, you know, right. as long as it still faces up really nice and white and sparkles and has no visible inclusions. Like that's what like women really care about. Wow. Yeah.
1: There's so much to know. It is it is so, in- it's so funny how like we're in such different fields but they are very similar. similar yeah. It's so intimidating mm-hmm. and I just kind of like take this, Attitude of like, well, I don't know anything about it. So, da-da-da-da. but it's like that's embarrassing. I should know more about it.
0: Well, and thank that's you for why we're like yeah. producing content. With, like the goal is to kind of make it like more accessible, less intimidating. Like so, you're a little bit like more knowledgeable. And I think you're doing like the same thing because I'm really intimidated about.
1: Yeah, I was too. <laughs> I was too. I mean, and I think it's like it's about being brave enough to like ad- admit when you don't, don't know. know. And
0: not everyone can know it about everything. Right. So yeah. Well, Awesome. you're doing
1: really cool stuff Sorry I'm gonna you. like definitely should buy some of these for some other female founder friends that's so cool that you're doing like a, just high-end jewelry as well that's not mm-hmm. necessarily engagement rings
0: yeah so it came like out of demand um people just I actually from this ring I, I love that I saw that on your website thanks. it's so pretty I designed this for myself with like extra diamonds from my bracelet and I was just posting it with engagement rings and people were like can you recreate that and th- that kept happening for like a lot of wedding bands and just like um, like staple pieces of jewelry so that's kind of how the collection was born and um, it, it only was like this past January and now, like, we're only designing things based on, like, what mm-hmm. our community is, like, begging for. Yeah, because
1: you guys have a massive Instagram following. You're killing it. <laughs> I mean, because what's more fun to look at on the Diamonds. It's, the diamonds, like, diamonds, it's
0: right? pretty easy.
1: <laughs> but also, okay, one more question. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, in our business, the minimum order quantities are really high because mm-hmm. we're a consumer product, right? Like, our unit economics are, like, really low. Mm-hmm. Obviously, so you ho- you have
0: to buy a lot of inventory, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm.
1: like, is it the same way
0: in this industry? So, we don't hold any inventory. Oh, that's amazing. Um, Every single piece, even, like, our stuff on the site is made to order. So, like, wow. once it's ordered, then we put it into pro- production. Oh. So, we don't have a ton of overhead good because oh. it's expensive.
1: How long does it take to do that?
0: Um, depending on the piece normally like two to three weeks for everything. Oh that's not bad. Yeah so we tell everyone like it's on the website like give us two to three weeks we'll stock up on like our most popular piece especially for holiday season mm-hmm. because like I know people are going to reach out being like can I have this for Christmas the week before um, so we have like just a small like stockpile mm-hmm. um, but yeah everything else is like made to order.
1: Okay one more question. Yeah, of counter
0: course. Counter. <laughs> What's the
1: busiest time of year for engagement rings do you find?
0: So there are engagement seasons Um, It's kind of like right now for purchasing and it's going to be Thanksgiving, Christmas and New Year's are like a hot time because people are with their families. They're going on vacations like it's just like the time to propose. And the second peak proposal season is in um, early summer. So like June, July, um, July 4th is like the hottest weekend to get engaged. Yeah. Yeah. Because people are on vacation. They're like, I love
1: America, and I love my significant (laughs) other. Let's do it.
0: (laughs) Because people are on vacation or with their families. Um, So I would say Christmas and 4th of July are, like, the hottest times to propose. Really? Yes. Oh,
1: my God. I'm going to share that with everybody (laughs) over the holidays. It's, like, a fun fact.
0: But a lot of people will come back after Christmas because they'll have been with their families talking about maybe getting engaged. And so, like, you'll have, like, a little spike, like, right after, too. But those are, like, the hottest times, definitely.
1: Wow. I learned so much today
0: me too thank you <laughs> thank you thanks so much for being here with us oh I'm good, so excited about this episode yeah oh my God. um so where can people follow find you buy your products all that good stuff
1: yeah they can buy our products at unboundbabes.com and then our handle on instagram if you like funny memes that's our that's our jam um it's just unbound babes
0: cool and um If you want to watch and see all of the jewelry that we were looking at, feel free to go on our YouTube. We're at The Clear Cut, and of course, follow us at The Clear Cut. Thanks, guys.